Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you have diabetes? Well, there's a lot of people who are at risk for that. And in fact, there are a lot of people who have a condition we now label pre-diabetes. And there are some great new programs out there that have been proven to reduce the risk of developing diabetes. Today, we're going to talk with Dr. Anthea Wong. She's from Kaiser Permanente. And we're going to talk about what defines pre-diabetes, who's at risk, and how can you avoid getting a full-blown extra sugar diabetes attack? So that is going to be our conversation today. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Wong. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, diabetes, we know, has a lot of complications. But for those people who may not be as well-versed in what actual diabetes can do, what sort of things do you see in your practice about for those people who have had diabetes for a while, who maybe don't have the best of all control? What are some of these diabetes complications? So yes, diabetes really can cause a lot of complications, which is why we want to prevent it and um, and treat it. Um, but the complications can include um, uh, heart attacks, strokes. Um, it can uh, include um, damage to nerves, um, loss of um, a limb uh, if you get an infection, which is very scary, um, blindness, because it can also affect the eyes. Um, so lots of complications that we can very easily prevent with control as well as even preventing diabetes before it even starts. And that's kind of where we're going to have our emphasis today. So for a lot of folks, they don't know if they have a risk for diabetes or not. What are the classic risk factors for developing prediabetes or diabetes? Who is more likely to get this? So um, several risk factors. One is um, if you are overweight. So that definitely is a risk factor. Just age, and all of us are getting older. So um, over 45 is um, a marker for increased risk. Um, if you've ever had gestational diabetes um, or given birth to um, a baby that weighed more than nine pounds, that's another risk factor. Um, race and ethnicity actually also fall into that. So there are certain um, races and ethnicities that are more at risk, um, African Americans, Latino and Hispanic Americans. Um, and in our um, Hawaii, of course, Native Americans, uh, Pacific Islanders, and Asian Americans, which really is pretty much all of us. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any category you haven't mentioned yet. Right. And so, so those are um, the risk factors. Some people say um, if you have high blood pressure or if you smoke, that can also be a risk factor. So lots of people are at risk for developing diabetes. They may be at risk for this pre-diabetes condition. Now, what would be the definition? So let's presume that the way you find out if you have diabetes is that you would see your primary care provider and you would have a blood sugar test done. Right. What are some of the values that would suggest that someone is normal versus pre-diabetic versus diabetic? So there's a couple of different um, ways to test. Um, a fasting blood sugar, um, meaning that you go first thing in the morning before you eat anything. Um, the fasting blood sugar is higher than the normal levels, but not quite at the diabetes level. So that's between 100 and 125. 
Um, and then we also use another test called the hemoglobin A1C, which is the average blood sugar over three months. Um, and that has um, prediabetes level between 5.7 to 6.4. Now, a couple of years ago, I remember way back, it was actually the end of 2009. I don't know why I know this. There used to be a different definition of diabetes. It used to be that three-month average sugar value, that A1C, anything 6% or higher was considered diabetes, and below 6% was not diabetes. But then they kind of changed the criteria a little bit, and they sort of opened up the spectrum to suggest normal sugar high sugar, pre-diabetes sugar, and then diabetes. So it sort of changed those parameters a little bit. So some people may remember those old numbers. And now diabetes is greater than or equal to 6.5%. That's like the don't go to Mm 6.5. But when we're talking about pre-diabetes, we're starting that level a little bit lower. We're starting at 5.7. That's right. And it used to be 6%, but now we've identified that as you get closer to that 6%, you are developing a slightly increased level of sugar that you don't want all the time. Yeah, and I think I think of it as a continuum. You know, it's a, it's a spectrum. So you have on one end uncontrolled diabetes and you have um, normal on the other end. And then somewhere in between is this borderline state. We used to call it borderline diabetes, right? Um, but really, it's, it's a continuum. So there's a little bit closer to normal, a little bit closer to diabetes, but it really gives us a chance and and a um, a window of where we can say, hey, you know, we can reverse this, we can prevent this. Um, and I think it gives us a little bit longer runway to work on it. So let's talk about that reversal, because that's a really key point, is that we're talking about a condition pre-diabetes that you could actually, there are scientific studies and proof that there is a mechanism to reverse this, to turn that spectrum back towards the normal sugar level. What are some of the basics of that reversal process? Yeah, so the biggest thing is is really lifestyle. Um, and, um, you know, there's studies to prove this. And, in fact, uh, the landmark study, the Diabetes Prevention Program, um, study back in 2002, I think. It was a long time ago. But really very much um, the evidence that lifestyle even works better than medicine to prevent diabetes. So um, they took um, people with prediabetes and and um, the lifestyle group actually did better. Um, so medicine works too, but lifestyle definitely does. So I think really, um, you know, this is difficult um, because we're in the doctor's office just a fraction of our lives, but we're in our families, our work, our communities all the time, and that's where the hard work of lifestyle changes begins. So really, it, it, it's just um, weight loss of 5 to 7% um, has been shown to decrease the risk of diabetes, um, and really by quite a bit. So 58% um, in the study over three years, um, and sustained as long as you keep up with those lifestyle changes. Um, and it really is nutrition, exercise, Um, and the behavior change that goes along with that. Um, So we all know what the diet is. Don't eat anything that tastes good. Let's just throw that out there right now. But there's a lot of different ways. Anything in moderation should be okay. We know the exercise. You know, you want to get some aerobic, some cardiovascular activity, and you want to get your heart rate up so that you can actually be making sure that your body's getting in better condition. Although weights are also good and doing some weightlifting is helpful Mm -hmm. as well. All helps your body to stay in good shape. 
I'm curious about the behavioral change. When you think about that concept of behavior changes, what sort of things, I mean, smoking, okay, quit smoking. All right. But what other kind of behavioral changes do you think can help somebody who's looking at this pre-diabetes condition? I think it's really approaching the nutrition and physical activity in a way that fits their lifestyle in a way that can be sustained. So, you know, one thing that we've learned in working over many patients um, throughout the years is one size doesn't fit all. It really doesn't. And there's so many different situations in our lives. We might be, um, you know, stressed at work or facing um, certain stressors in our family life as well. But there's something that's going to work for you at that moment in time. And, and it's making those changes little bit by little bit, and everything adds up. So, you know, with, with physical activity, um, it's, it's not much. It's, you know, 150 minutes a week. It's 30 minutes most days of the week. And it doesn't even have to be all in one go. You know, it's um, adding it up all throughout the day and making those little changes. And for eating, I, I agree with you. It, it really is... Um, sometimes there's so many confu- confusing things about this diet and that diet and eat this and don't eat that and, and definitely don't eat anything that tastes good. But I think it's, it's more of, you know, I, I really like um, the Michael Pollan um, saying where he says, eat food, mostly plants, not too much, kind of simplifies everything. Um, and I think there's delicious food out there. Um, food is medicine. And um, we just have to find what's right for us at the moment in time um, within the situation that we have right now. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Anthea Wong, and she's from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about ways that people can reduce the risk of developing diabetes by identifying if they have that condition pre-diabetes and figuring out what are the healthy ways to avoid heading down that trajectory to becoming a full-blown diabetic. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the basics in the nutrition and some of the exercise recommendations and why long-term is the key and short-term, non-sustainable dietary changes are not going to get us where we need to go. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative, Impact Hub Honolulu Co-working, and iDoctors Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Anthea Wong. She's from Kaiser Permanente, and she's an internal medicine doctor, and she's working on taking care of people in the office and identifying who has prediabetes and also identifying when they have diabetes and helping them to avoid some of the complications that arise if that condition progresses further along that spectrum. Now, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about ways in which we can work on our prediabetes diagnosis and that that's really based on studies that were done for diabetes prevention that focused a lot on dietary changes, exercise changes, and the other real big one, behavioral change. If every time you get stressed, you reach for a cookie, and we've all been there, then working on different modalities to deal with your stress can often really help because you will need some of those techniques to be able to make this a sustainable change. 
Now, Kaiser Permanente has worked with the YMCA. They have a diabetes prevention program. They have cohorts going on all throughout the island. They're actually also doing things on Maui as well. And I know that Kaiser also has a presence there, so it'll be a great combination. The key with the diabetes prevention is that it has to take place over a long time. I think mm-hmm. the YMCA program is a course that goes on over nine months or so. So we talk about these behavioral changes. You kind of have to do something that you can see yourself realistically continuing. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to give up chocolate forever because I'm telling you, that's not chocolate possible. is going to call your name yes. and you're going to hear it every place you go. And eventually you're going to find yourself some chocolate. So, you know, it has to be something realistic. So let's talk about some potential realistic things people could do. We talked about exercise and not having it be all at once. You could do 30 minutes throughout the day. You could park a little further from where you work. You could take the stairs if you happen to need to go up or down. You could do a variety of other things, walk around the park at lunch if you have an opportunity. So it doesn't have to be all at once, but it does need to be intense enough that you're getting a workout and also enough time-wise that your body gets a benefit. Let's talk about some of the other Healthy substitutes, you know, you talked about different foods that you could eat and different things, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. You know, so what kinds of things do you encourage your prediabetes patients to do? You know, one of the biggest thing, and I think um, we don't um, normally focus on it, is the drinks. Um, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, the drinks it really, especially if it's not water, you know, sugar-sweetened beverages, sodas, juices. A lot of people think juices are healthy. Um, even um, zero-calorie or um, uh, uh, the, the, the things with, like, yeah, fake sugar. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That that also, you know, we think is okay. But, um, you know, if we just realize how much calories really is, is going into us with just drinks, um, even just reducing that would come a long way. Um, not even changing anything else. I think really focusing on what we drink. Well, and it's funny because I've got a couple of patients that say, I bought a juicer and you should see all the fruit that I put in my juicer and then I drink it. And I remember asking one one time and I said, you know, if you were to sit down and decide you're going to eat some fruit, would you eat that same quantity of fruit mm-hmm. that you just put in your juicer? And they're like, not at all. That would take me a week. And I'm like, Wow. Because you just drank a week's worth of fruit (laughs) in the course of an hour. So, you know, adding vegetables to some of the juicing or adding some other ingredients, even some of those healthy juices, you Mm -hmm. know, you look Mm -hmm. at the back and you're like, wow, that's a lot of sugar. sugar. That's why I like it. (laughs) So, you know, keeping an eye on the drinks that people are taking. What are your thoughts on fake sugar? Because there have been a couple of different studies that have come out looking at the potential that your body, when you have a lot of fake sugar, makes you crave real sugar even more. That's right. That's right. That's and just think, depressing. Yes. And so it really, it, it makes it worse, I think, because it, it makes you crave sweets more so that even if you don't get it through that drink, you're going to get it some other way. You're going to hear that chocolate voice again, yes. and it's going to just call you to like the Hershey section or right. something. So substitutes that people could do. You mentioned water. What else could people do that could help them in their diet or their tricks of the trade that you can think of that you might have helped your patients with bringing salads or prepared salads or making something tasty because healthy food really can be good. Oh, yes. It can be very delicious. So I think really knowing what you like and focusing on that, um, uh, doing some prep work, um, really uh, learning how to cook, learning how to cook. Okay, I'm going to put that on my agenda. Go home, (laughs) 
learn to cook. Cereal does not count. Okay. <laughs> and and prepping, you know, so um, you're not, when you're in a rush the next morning, if you don't have something ready to go for your lunch, you're not, you're going to go out and buy something. Um, so really preparing, even just a couple hours in the weekend to prepare for the week is very, very helpful. Um, and then and then just thinking about um, having a plate lunch, that you don't need all of that, or splitting uh, an entree with somebody you go out with, um, you know, even those little changes can make a big difference. Sure. I mean, I often think if you open up the refrigerator and you're hungry and you see something that looks good, you're going to eat that. So what if you just filled your fridge with things like celery and carrots, right. and but you got to get them cut up and put them in the little baggies. That's right. I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and just like cut up some celery when I'm hungry. I- I'm going to eat something yummy when I'm hungry. But if I have it already cut up in the fridge, chances are I'm probably going to reach for that because I've already done the prep work. So chopping and putting things in easy, convenient packages. And I got to tell you, you can go to Costco these days and find pre-packaged, cut up. up. It's looking great. Mm -hmm. And I don't even have to use a knife. I can just grab it and go. And so there's a lot of convenience. But I often think that that same convenience is often where we fall short. So when we get so used to convenience Mm -hmm. and we don't have the convenience, we tend to find ourselves maybe in drive throughs mm-hmm. or in places where food is given immediately. And the serving size in the United yes. States has it's increased really quite a dramatically. Lot, yeah. Bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, the, the portion control, I think it, it, it really, we, that's where we slip up. Um, even the size of the plate can make a big difference. Start um, eating off of tiny plates. Actually, yeah, it really does little, help. Yes, yeah. just a you know, just the medium sized plate instead of big plate, um, really helps. Or proportioning your lunch so that you you pack a little bento or you know a little box for yourself and and it's already portioned. I think that really helps too. Um, yeah, and the restaurant portion sizes I think are getting bigger too. Um, so even just getting more variety, right, and sharing with the people you're with um, an entree, a salad, and a dessert or something like that. Well, and the good news is a lot of times at restaurants, they'll now sort of have a little healthy fare. They'll put a Mm -hmm. little sign by it and say, this is the healthy version of whatever. And you look at it and go, but that's not as good as the cheesy version, Mm -hmm. but it's actually healthier for you. And, you know, you feel better when you eat it. Yeah. And your tastes change, too. So a lot of times it's just what we're used to. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's the communities that we're in, the, the cultures that we're in. And sometimes we just have to get used to something a little bit different. And it happens with time um, and it happens with encouragement of our community. Um, so I think really encouraging each other, making the time, too, because if we're rushed, like you said, we're going to, you know, if we're eating at our desk. If we're not taking time, we're eating in front of TV. Um, we're going to eat more. Yeah, when you're not watching. If you're hungry and you're angry, you're hangry. You just yeah. don't want to be hangry. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Anthea Wong from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about some tricks so that if you do have prediabetes, you can help try and avoid developing diabetes. When we come back, we're going to talk about why even if you cross that threshold of diabetes, you should not despair. There are some great things you can do to help reduce your risk of developing those complications. We'll be right back after this quick break. 
Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, and Hawaii Pacific University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here in the studio with Dr. Anthea Wong from Kaiser Permanente. We're talking about prediabetes and how it can be reversed. So the question that comes up is, can you reverse actual diabetes? And, you know, I often tell people, and, and please don't let me insult anyone who has this other condition because it's not meant to be insulting, but more illustrative. But I recall telling a patient once, you know, you have to think about it like alcoholism. Now, it's certainly a different diagnosis, but follow along. If you are an alcoholic and then you decide that you're going to quit drinking, you are considered a recovered or reformed alcoholic. But if you start drinking again, you kind of know it could get out of control and you may not be able to handle it and there may be an addictive component to it. And so you're at a greater risk of developing alcoholism again. We don't really ever say someone is a cured alcoholic. So I often suggest to people who have diabetes that yes, you can reduce your sugar values. Mm -hmm. You can even get them below the diabetes threshold. Mm -hmm. But if you go back to those previous changes, your body has a predisposition and you will not be able to handle the same amount of intake of carbohydrates that someone else without this previous history of diabetes could handle. And so we don't want to suggest that you can never cure diabetes. Some studies have shown gastric bypass surgery actually is curative for diabetes. But you also don't want to assume that you can't reform it. You can become, I often tell my patients, you're a recovered diabetic. It means that you mm -hmm. can't eat donuts all the time. But boy, if you just stick to these lifestyle changes mm -hmm. and you keep watching what you're eating, you may not hit that threshold That's of true. diabetes again. That's I can't true. say you're cured from it, but I can say that you're doing so good. You're not, if you have a normal sugar after having a diagnosis of diabetes, if your A1C goes back down to normal, you're not going to suffer the complications That's of diabetes right. if you keep your sugars lower. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I have a lot of patients, actually, that have made the lifestyle changes. Some are on medicine, and, and but there's some that are not on medicine um, who have blood sugars in the normal or the prediabetes range. Um, I have a very young and healthy 93-year-old who has had diabetes, type 2 diabetes for a long time, no complications, not on medicines, just very disciplined about, um, you know, her eating and staying active. Um, but those are the kind of um, stories that are, are really encouraging to me. Okay, a 93-year-old yes. that's watching what she's eating and staying active. That alone is impressive because if you can make it to 93, you're doing something darn good. Yep. And if you can just keep doing whatever that is, I am super impressed by you. And if you're still staying active and, and you're watching your diet at 93, I'm endlessly impressed. That's fantastic. Now, medicine isn't bad. A lot of folks feel like they failed if they get started on medication. Metformin is a medicine that's often used for prediabetes, right. can be used for diabetes and a couple of other conditions. But starting a medicine is not a failure. What When you see patients who get a little discouraged because you've started them on medicine, what do you say to them to help them realize this is actually going to be helpful for them? It's not the, the failure that they may perceive it to be. Yeah. 
And I think that's very important. It's definitely not a failure. It really is about managing the condition. So, you know, we manage it in a lot of different ways. And sometimes you have to manage it in multifactorial type of ways like lifestyle and um, medicine combined. Um, And sometimes the effects of both are synergistic and you get a really good effect. Um, Metformin, especially for people with prediabetes, you know, it's 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 hard to make those changes, um, and sometimes those changes might not be enough. You know, sometimes it's just an overwhelming family history that you have, and the medicines really help. And metformin um, is really helpful too because sometimes it helps with weight. And so, my patients with prediabetes actually really benefit in both ways from just the blood sugar lowering as well as the weight reduction. Um, not dramatic, still need the lifestyle, but um, but yeah, it's definitely not a failure. And for diabetes, that's the mainstay. You know, we can um, control your blood sugars in however way we can. That is the goal. Um, so taking medications, um, if it gets your blood sugars in the normal range, you're going to reduce those complications. So the goal is to get to one place. And what what avenues you take, what That's roads right. you take, what side streets or taking the freeway or however you get there. As long as you get there, that's really the key. Yeah, one size doesn't fit all. That's that's for sure. That's very true because I've tried some of those shirts on and I'm just going to say, no, and I see people, no, that's not going to fit. So, you know, certainly it sounds like this very personalized approach that's right. might be the best plan. Yeah. So if you have somebody who seems to be doing very well, you know, do you see people get off of medicine? Yes, yes. And just because you start it doesn't mean you're going to be on it forever. That's another key. Because there's some, these days, although I realize that insulin often is crossing a different bridge when you have diabetes and you start using insulin, which is often not started early enough in the course of diabetes. Mm -hmm. But we've got so many new medications that have so many mechanisms Mm -hmm. that can help treat this condition with a multifactorial approach that you really do have a good chance of being able to work on this, not just with medication, certainly with lifestyle changes, but there's a lot more options now than there were 50 years ago. That's right. That's right. It really gives um, hope to a lot of people with prediabetes and diabetes. And that's really the key, is we want to make sure that people understand that Yes, you may have this condition, and don't be scared to get diagnosed. I think there's also a bit of a fear. I don't want to know what my sugar is. It's right after the holidays, or I don't want to know. I know it's going to be high, but knowledge is power. Yes, and you know what scares me is that there's so many people out there who are undiagnosed, Um, especially for prediabetes. I think the numbers are staggering already. They're climbing every year, Um, but there's a lot more people that don't know that they have it. Um, so there's actually some online risk questionnaires that they can um, that you can go do. So it's um, uh, the DOH Hawaii website has Prevent Diabetes um, Hawaii dot com, I believe, and then the CDC website also has um, uh, a risk questionnaire. I think it's Do I Have Diabetes dot org, something like that. Um, but you can take those risk questionnaires um, in the privacy of your own home and then bring those um, results to your doctor and talk to your doctor about it and get um, get screened. And get tested. Don't yeah. fear it. Yeah. Because if you do have the diagnosis, there are things you can do to try and help yourself. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be stuck on medicine forever. But even if you do need medicine to get your sugars down, or to change that prediabetes risk, it's actually going to help you in the long run. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's right. 
I know that, you know, when we look at the numbers of people who are undergoing dialysis, Mm -hmm. a lot of those patients started off having diabetes, and it wasn't so well controlled, or it started to affect kidneys, and it started to affect other organs. And these are things that often when I talk with folks who have had complications, and I say to them, what would you tell your younger self? They often say, I would have gotten tested, or it's not worth that piece of chocolate or that cookie or whatever it is, that it really does make a difference for them. Yeah. Yeah. So your best advice for somebody who's concerned about having prediabetes or if they get diagnosed would be? Get tested. And I think, you know, the bottom line is we need to just care for ourselves I think that's what it is. If, if you, We have so many responsibilities um, to so many other people, but if we don't care for ourselves and treat ourselves well, move like we should, eat delicious good food, um, we can't do any of the other things we need to do. That's definitely words of truth. All right, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Dr. Anthea Wong is at Kaiser Permanente, seeing patients and helping everybody to have a slightly healthier lifestyle to avoid the prediabetes and diabetes risks they may have. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show, and you can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk about more health topics relative, important to all of us, right here on The Body Show. See you then.